As, as uh, Pastor Paul just prayed, we're going to be in the book of Joshua, so why don't you grab your Bibles and turn to Joshua, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, the sixth book of the Bible, and uh, it's, it's a very fitting chapter for this morning. Um, this is a new chapter in the life of this church. A lot of what we've talked about this morning, a lot of what we've prayed about and already been looking at, it's a new chapter in the life of this church. And it requires, in one sense, a renewed understanding of what God is doing and how God is doing it. There are many transitionings happening right now. Lots of transitions, big transitions. Some of them really challenging and difficult, most of them really exciting. Joshua chapter 1 is a book about transitions. It's a transition from the wilderness into the promised land. It's a transition from the leadership of Moses to the leadership of Joshua. It's a transition from a generation that had been faithless to a generation that will be faithful. And what we see in this chapter is that there is a new season in the life of the people of God. It's a new chapter in their story, in their history. It is in one sense, especially this first chapter, primarily about the commissioning of Joshua as the new leader of the nation of Israel. Joshua is taking command. He's leading them into the promised land. He's leading forward on mission for God. God is leading Joshua to lead his people on conquest to take hold of the promised land. So here's the question I want to ask and then hopefully answer as we look at God's word this morning. Here it is. How does God lead leaders to lead God's people? How does God lead leaders to lead God's people? And what I want you to see first is this. God's word forms God's leaders. Look at me at Joshua Verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses." From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. 
You can see right here that the first nine verses are actually a monologue. This is God, if you noticed, speaking for nine verses to his servant Joshua. It's a great reminder that God calls his leaders by his word. Now today, he doesn't call them in quite the same way. He doesn't speak audibly to call leaders like this, but he speaks through his word very clearly about what a leader is supposed to be, what he's supposed to look like, what he's supposed to do. He calls leaders to the power of his word, to the noble task of being leaders, elders in the church of God. And you'll notice that what God is doing is so strategic, it's so intentional, it's so important. He is preparing Joshua to lead the people of God forward. He is speaking directly to him about the the massive task in front of him. You see that in verse 1? It's after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. Now, the first five books of the Bible are written by Moses, and and in Deuteronomy, the book just before this, uh, Moses is held up as as a paradigm uh, of leaders, he is an incredible leader. You say, why, why does the book of Joshua start like this? I think it's very important. Because God is telling Joshua that you have some pretty big shoes to fill. Moses has been their leader since the Exodus. I mean, just think about what Moses knows, excuse me, Joshua knows about Moses. The people of God have followed him for 40 years in the wilderness. God has used him in great and powerful ways, but now Moses is gone. And God looks at Joshua and he says, Joshua, now's your time. I'm calling you to step up. And what I've called you to, I will equip you for, but you are now going to lead God's people forward. What he's doing is he's forming a leader with his word. And we see some really important things here. You see, with his word, he he calls leaders. And essentially, listen, when God calls a leader to do something in the church, the leader is just supposed to stand up as an example. He doesn't have a a different um, set of rules to follow. He doesn't have to be a different kind of person in one sense. He simply is the example that all the people of God are intended to look at and follow. And so here what we see is that With his word, he calls leaders to some specific things, and by extension, he calls all of God's people to specific things. Here's how God forms his leaders by his word. He calls them first to trust his permanent promises. He calls them to trust his permanent promises. You'll notice that right out the gates here, God holds up to Joshua the promises that he has actually given through Moses. And if we look back through the Bible, we see that these are the promises that are originally given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 15. That God is going to call out a people, and God is going to give them a land. And so he's putting these promises up before Joshua, and he's telling him, remember, I have promised you these things. And I am faithful to fulfill my promise, even if it takes hundreds of years, which it has up to this point. But it's interesting because as you think about the promises of God that he's given, especially here to Joshua, you need to understand this, that he's called them to do something that is humanly impossible, okay? This is a humanly impossible task that God has put before Joshua, and it's intended to be felt and understood that way. He's calling his leaders to do what they cannot do in their own strength. 
And there's two options when you look at the, the promises of God. When, when you see the promises of God, you have two options. You can look at them with fear and think that's, there's no way, I can't do that, I can't trust that, I can't believe that, it's way too great. Or, listen, you can look at the promises of God with faith. You can trust that God is faithful and that God is able. It's interesting, 40 years earlier, think about this, the nation of Israel is right now standing on the banks of the Jordan River, east of the the land of Canaan. 40 years earlier, they stand maybe at this exact spot, and they look across and they see the land. And if you remember the story in Numbers, right, 13 spies get sent into the land. They see the promise of God. Here's a land that's flowing with milk and honey. It's everything God said it was going to be. But there's one problem. The land is filled with giants. These people are terrifying. And 11 of the spies come back and say, there's no way we can take this land. They are ruled, listen, by fear, not faith. Only two spies, we know this, right? Joshua and Caleb come back and say, yes, all of this is true and all of this is daunting. It looks like it's impossible, but God is faithful to his word. He's faithful to his promises. If you know the story, you know that God punishes that generation, that faithless generation. They're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, one year for every day that the spies were in the land until that entire faithless generation dies off. And now, here's, here's the new generation. They're standing now looking at the promised land, and here's the question they need to answer. Are we going to walk in fear or are we going to walk in faith? Are we going to trust the permanence of God's promise? And the answer we know here is yes, they do. You know, part of the point of mentioning Moses at the beginning is to remind the people of God, listen, that though Moses is gone, the promise of God lives on, okay? The promises of God are not dependent upon you or me, amen? Listen, God can, can move people on to new things. God can move people out of things. But the reality is, is this is not about one man or a group of men. This is about God and the faithfulness of God to his people, God will raise up leaders. God will do whatever he desires to do to accomplish his good purposes. And so they stand here on the banks of the Jordan and they're holding fast to the permanence of God's promise. But again, the task in front of them isn't going to be easy. Even with that knowledge that God is faithful, that God is able, they are required to understand this task is not going to be easy. Think about it. They're standing on the banks of the Jordan. The book of Joshua tells us that this is the time of year when the banks of the river are swelling with water. And this is not a small river. And there's no bridge over the Jordan. I mean, how are we going to even get into the land? Not only that, when we get into the land, we're looking at all of these walled cities. We've got people who are fearful and hostile. And then we've got kings there that are making allegiances with each other to to make sure that we do not prevail in our conquest of the land. The task is incredible. And God is calling Joshua to do the impossible. Now, I just want to make it very clear. Uh, You have not received this promise in Joshua. You're not going to get everywhere that your foot lands. You can't name this and claim this, contrary to the prosperity gospel preachers. You have not been promised a physical kingdom. But you have been promised a spiritual one. A spiritual kingdom that is likewise humanly impossible 
to achieve. Can you imagine Jesus standing with his 11 disciples, a bunch of fishermen, a bunch of nobodies, really, when he looked at them and he said, okay, now you men, you 11 men, go unto all nations and make disciples. Go on conquest is what he's telling them. Go and and conquer the hearts of human beings. Go and, and snatch souls out of the grip and power of Satan. Go and proclaim the good news of the gospel. You 11 guys, go conquer the world with the gospel. And we know what happened, right? A humanly impossible task, but here are these 11 men began to turn the world upside down. Not by force, but by the bold proclamation of the gospel. By proclaiming, listen, that there is salvation in no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. That, that there is only one savior of the world, that Jesus Christ, the son of God, came to this earth. He lived the perfect life. He died in the place of sinners. He rose from the grave, conquering sin and death. Hear that language? Conquering sin and death so that all who place their trust in faith in the promise of the gospel might be saved. Uh, Dennis, Wayne, Paul, Paul, God is calling you to trust in his permanent promise that he is the one who is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That is the promise that you get to cling to today. The good news of the gospel that Jesus is the one who is responsible for building his church, though he's called you to this task, here's the good news. He's not calling you to do it alone. Notice this, secondly, this is how God's word forms God's leaders. He calls you to access his powerful presence. Now it's interesting as you drop down in your Bible to verse 5 there, I want you to notice this. Verse 5 and verse 9 kind of bracket the, the section right here. And here's what it says. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Listen to this promise. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Look at the very last verse. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This section is bookended by the the power of God's presence being with God's people. The call to be strong and courageous, for example, is grounded in the the power of God's presence. It's not human strength and human ability. It's not you conjuring up this kind of disposition. This is all about the presence of God that is with you. Everything else he says here in between these two verses speaks to accessing that power and thereby experiencing what he describes here as success or prosperity. Now, don't get the wrong idea. Again, this is not prosperity gospel kind of language. God's not promising prosperity like he's going to get rich. That's not what he's saying at all. He's promising him success in the task for which he's been called to. That's what success is biblically. It's faithfulness in accomplishing what God has called you to. That's what success looks like, biblically speaking. But you need to see this as well. This success to conquer this nation is not automatic. It requires a response. It requires human effort. And we see this in a few different ways. I want you to see this. First of all, if you want to access this powerful presence of God, it's going to require a humble dependence. 
Verse 5 and 6 make that very clear. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause the people to inherit the land that I swore to their, for, their fathers to give to them. Just as I was with Moses, he says, I will be with you. Think about how important that would have been for Joshua to hear. He had seen the presence of God with Moses. He knew that Moses went up atop the mountain and met with God face to face. He knew that when Moses came down from the mountain, his face shone with the very glory of God. He, he knew that Moses walked into Egypt and God used him to do miraculous things, to put the power of God on full display. He knew that God led his people, led Moses through the wilderness, through a, a pillar of fire and a cloud. He knew that Moses had drawn water from the rock You know, it's interesting. We often forget to depend upon God because we forget what God has done for us in the past. We forget to look back and see that God's been so faithful. God's been so kind. God's power has been put on full display so many times in my life over and over and over. And we forget that and we turn to our own strength. We turn to our own abilities. And we all know how that goes. That never leads to anywhere good. There needs to be, like there is with Joshua, a deep recognition of our human ability. There always has to be in leading God's people. I, I can't do this apart from the grace of God. Apart from you, as Jesus said, I can do nothing. You can't complete the mission without my power. That's exactly what he's saying. And by the way, that's exactly what you've been promised in the New Testament. Remember the early church gathering in Acts chapter 1? Jesus had, had ascended and, and he told them to wait for the promised power of God. Remember that? Acts chapter 1 verses 4 through 8. He says, listen, you can't go on mission yet. I know I've already given the great commission, but you actually can't, you can't go. Because there's something vital missing in order for you to accomplish the mission. You have to wait from the Spirit of God, the power of God's Spirit from on high to come and fill you, to energize you, and then to move you out so the mission can be accomplished. And that's exactly what they did. They they had to wait for his power to come, and then they could be his witnesses from Jerusalem to all Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. You hear this again? World domination. The gospel is intended to conquer the earth. One person, one soul at a time being rescued. This is why we put on the armor of God, right? We're in a battle. And we cannot do it without the the promised power of the Spirit of God. Is that what makes you think you can do this? Is that what makes you think you can do the ministry that you're in or or live the Christian life effectively? Is Is it the power of God, his presence within you? I trust that it is this morning. Or is it your own confidence in your own ability to to bootstrap it through the Christian life. This verse, by the way, is repeated in the New Testament book of Hebrews that he will never leave us or forsake us. So good. We're told that he will always be with us, personally be with us. And the first step in all spiritual success has to start here. It's humble dependence. You see, what exactly does this look like? What does this dependence look like? I can tell you for sure it looks like prayer. Looks like a lot of things, but it for sure looks like prayer. And you must be men of prayer above all things. It can't just be about the business of the church. It has to be about getting on your knees and praying with all of the passion that you have for Jesus Christ. With all of the dependence that you have on Jesus Christ. The early church devoted themselves to prayer. The early leaders devoted themselves to the ministry of the word and the ministry of prayer. Next, it looks like holy discipline. 
The charge God gives and and the promise of success, notice this, it's conditioned upon a specific response. And by the way, humble dependence is always manifested in holy discipline, spiritual discipline. In other words, you actively pursue the Lord. The context here is very clear about what is key to Joshua's success. Notice verse 7 and 8 again. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law uh, Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all according to all that it is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. It sounds exactly, doesn't it, like Psalm, Psalm 1? It's exactly like Psalm 1. This is where spiritual prosperity and success comes from. It, it comes from being a, a person of the word of God. Joshua, as the leader of God's people, is to focus on God's word and on God's will. Then, as he leads Israel in taking the land of Canaan, success will come. He'll be successful on the mission that God has sent him on. You just you need to see this, church. This is so important for your own spiritual health and growth. The key to success for Joshua and for us is that we are immersed in God's word. This is amazing, by the way, when you think about it in context. First, he tells him to listen to a book. All that Moses had written. It's like, you've got my word. It's there. You want to know my will? It's in my word. So well, why, is, why is that so incredible? Think about it. Because God is audibly telling him this. Like, why don't we just stick with this plan? Why don't you just keep talking to me like this, God? Why do I have to keep going to a book? And I know, by the way, that's the way a lot of us feel, right? Like, you know what? If God, if God spoke to me audibly, well, I'd listen. I mean, it'd be pretty compelling. But you know what, church? Here's what you need to embrace. God has spoken to you in his book, amen? He's spoken to you. You're like, well, it's still nice to hear the word of God audibly speaking to me. Well, then just read his word out loud. It's problem solved. This is the word of God for you. This is what God has given to you. And by the way, we have way more than Joshua had. We know way more than Joshua ever did. We are privileged living this side of the cross. To have God's word in our hands on a phone? I find this fascinating because he doesn't say, Joshua, when when you're on mission, when you're advancing across this land, when you're on this conquest through the land, and you need to hear from me, and you're in the midst of the battle, don't go and find a quiet spot on the grass and just sit there and wait for me to talk to you. Go to my word. Open my word. And you will hear my voice. As leaders of God's people, you need to give yourself to this book. Don't let it depart from your heart, your mind, and your mouth. And this takes great effort. Listen to what one author says. James Gordon writes these words, Godliness is neither painless nor inevitable. That's so good. Christian spirituality, therefore, presupposes the practice of spiritual discipline. The life of grace is nourished by the means of grace. 
One of my favorites, J.C. Ryle, he writes this, private religion must receive our first attention if we wish our souls to grow. By a disciplined devotional practice, our spiritual life is cultivated, corrected, and the whole of life improved. That's success. The way God guides his people is through this book. It always has been and it always will be. When you live by this book, you will have great success and find great rest for your soul, even in the midst of tumultuous times, chaotic moments, difficult circumstances. You will prosper if you immerse yourself and saturate yourself with this book. Read this book. Study this book. Memorize this book Meditate upon it daily. The Bible promises you great success and prosperity in your life if you do so. And I want you to notice this. I want to kind of connect these. They aren't separate, but you you can't miss this. If you want to experience his powerful presence in your life, you have to do this. You have to obey his precious precepts. Listen, it doesn't matter how much you know of the word of God if you will not do anything with what you know. It doesn't matter. In fact, the only thing you accomplish is heaping up more judgment or accountability before God. You can read it, know it, memorize it all you want, but if you do not do it, you will fail. You will not be successful. You will not be prosperous. And as God's leaders, you must be obsessive about obeying God's word. Be careful, he says, to do all that is written Everything God has says we must do. We can't cut corners with the word of God. We can't cut corners in our obedience. We must be people who faithfully obey our God. It's interesting that Joshua is not told to go study military strategy. Did you catch that? Maybe he did. It's possible. He probably knew what he was doing. But what was vitally important for advancing God's kingdom is to obey God's word. The same is true for us today. The keys to success in life lie in being intensely focused on God and consistent faithfulness to him and his revealed word. That's how God, God's word forms God's leaders. Notice this secondly, and this point is, is very quick, but, but it's important. God's leaders lead with God's word. God's leaders lead with God's word. Notice verses 10 through 15. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in and to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving to you, you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving to them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. He speaks to those who are going to remain on the east side of the Jordan after the conquest is finished. But I want you just to see what's so vital here. Joshua is simply repeating everything that God has already told him. That's it. Joshua's leadership style is to tell the people what God said. 
It's not to give his own opinion. It's not to, to philosophize about what he thinks they should do. He simply turns around and repeats what God has already told him. Tell the people what God said. That, that's, that's the greatest thing God's leaders can do. Tell the people what God said. And this is what we see in the New Testament. Biblical leadership isn't rocket science. It's really not. Study to show yourself approved, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's what Paul told Timothy. Preach the word in season and out of season. Exhort, reprove, and rebuke with great patience. It's not rocket science. Here's what God says. Here's what God says. Here's what God says. What does God's word say? That's it. That's what the people of God do in every situation, in counseling, in preaching, in caring, in discipling. What does God's word say? The failure of biblical leadership is not failing to come up with the right strategies, but failing to give people the word of truth. It's not new strategies to reach new people, but old paths that bring new life. Teaching people to know this book, to follow this book To lead is to tell people what God says and why it matters and to show them how to follow him. Lead yourself and lead God's people with the word. Give yourself to it. Third and finally, God's people respond to God's word. You're like, well, what, what do I got to do? This is, this is what we do as the people of God. We respond to God's word in faith. Notice at the very end here, and I kind of blend it in with what I've just read above, but Verse 16, notice the people of God, they respond. They answer Joshua, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. This is, this is so good. God's people here, they really want to obey God's word. You get that sense? They, they have this hunger and this thirst for the word of God. They're ready to follow. And by the way, as we read through the book of Joshua, you want to know what we see? They did obey God's word. Not, not perfectly. They made mistakes and they, they weren't perfect in their obedience, but there was great obedience. In fact, so much so that the very end of the book in chapter 24, listen to what it says in verse 31. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. They did it. They really did serve him. They really did obey him. They had a hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why did the kingdom advance? The simple answer is because they kept the word of God. They hid it in their heart. That's what they say here. They obeyed the word. And I love it here because they go on to tell you, you notice this? They go on to tell you. So here's, here's God tells Joshua his word. Joshua tells God's people his word. And then God's people repeat back to Joshua God's word. Did you catch that? That's all they did. It's all about the word. You get that? It's like, only you be strong and courageous. Only you do exactly what the Lord says. Because when you're doing that, we will happily follow you wherever you lead us. We will follow you as you follow God. Lead us with strength and courage. According to the word of God, we will follow. 
And I just want you to see that, that this, is, this is done with a united voice. Did you catch that? There's like, it's like, it sounds like it's only one person speaking, but you have to imagine. This is the, the united voice of the people of God saying, we will follow. We will respond to the word of God. And that's so critical to understand because you can't advance the mission of God where there is no unity. And let's be honest, right now, there are a lot of reasons we could be divided. There always has been, right? And and you know what Satan's work to divide the church? Like divide and conquer is Satan's strategy. God's strategy is unite and conquer. When we're united, the mission is advanced with power. When we're divided, we're too busy busy squabbling about things that don't matter, trivial things, non-issues. Guess what we're not doing? Accomplishing the mission. And so it's critical to see the the unity that exists in the people of God. And I want to highlight that just in three quick ways. I think God's people, this passage teaches that we, we need to be united first in purpose. And that's what he's given them. He's given them purpose. He simply reminded them of the purpose that is found in the word of God. God has given the promise. God has told them what to do. God designs the mission for his people. Amen? Okay, God has given the mission to his church. Go make disciples. Go make disciples. This is what we're, we're doing, in other words. This is, this is the way that we're united. This is what we're doing. This is the purpose. This is where we're going, and this is how we're going to do it. This is what God has called us to. The chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, has given his mission to the church. We must be united in fulfilling that purpose. Secondly, we must be united in perseverance. It's helpful to, to remember here, he, he gathers these tribes together and he says, listen, you're going to find rest, but you have to actually help us on this mission. You have to help us accomplish what God has called us to do by his grace and by his power. And once that mission is complete, then you'll enjoy the rest that God promised you. The fullness of that rest. It's not going to be easy. This is almost what you can kind of hear, read between the lines. This is not going to be easy. I mean, they're going, you guys know the story of Josh. They're, they're going to war. They're going to battle. One city at a time being conquered. And it's going to take a lot of time. But they are in it until the mission is complete. Listen, or until the Lord calls them home. There's no throwing in the towel. There's no white flags. There's no sitting on the bench. They're in it until the mission is complete or the Lord calls them home. God's people must be committed to perseverance. This is all over the New Testament. And here's why, church. This is so awesome because we've got work to do. We've got work to do. There's people all around us who don't know Jesus. There's people all around, every, every minute those, that goes by, somebody dies and they wake up standing in the presence of Jesus Christ, the judge of this universe, and they stand there naked and ashamed, guilty and condemned. The church has work to do. God is calling us on mission and to persevere, and it's not going to be easy. I mean, just look at our culture. It's getting harder, isn't it? There's so much work to do, and it's time to roll up our sleeves, to get back at the task, to get off the bench, to get in the game, to spend ourselves for the glory of God. And you see that here at the end of this passage. That's that's what they're saying in verses 16 and 17. Wherever you send us, we will go, just as we obeyed Moses, in all things so we will obey you. 
You know what they're saying? Let me paraphrase. We are with you. We're with you. By the way, that is one of the greatest gifts you can give to the leadership of the church is to come alongside them as they follow God faithfully, not perfectly, but faithfully, to come alongside them and say this, we are with you. Not blindly, not foolishly, but we are with you. As you lead us with the word, as you lead us on mission for God, we are with you. Lastly, let me just say this, that we must be united in purity. Did you notice that the focus here was to obey everything that God commanded them? And I want you to see this too. Look at verse 18. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you commend him shall be put to death. Now, thankfully, that's not how we operate in the church. But, <laughs> this would be in a lot of trouble. But, but it is a reminder, listen, of how seriously God takes holiness. How serious the purity of the church is to God. And listen, that the, the, the success and prosperity and advancement of the gospel is actually, in large part, listen, dependent upon the purity of God's people. And while we don't put anybody to death, we do see in the New Testament the practice of church discipline, which is restorative in nature, but also intended to heighten our understanding of the holiness of God and even to purge wickedness from our midst. Why? Not, not just primarily because it's dishonoring to God, but secondly, because it, it hinders the advancement of the mission of the church. The unity of God's people and faithfulness to God is key to success. I said this out the gates, but let me say it again. This is not about commitment to a man. It's not primarily, listen, about commitment to Joshua. This is about commitment to God. And and you need to see this, that when Israel is united in their faithfulness to God, they cannot be defeated. But when they are divided, read through the book of Joshua. When they're divided, they do not win. The unity of God's people and their faithfulness to him remains key, not only for winning Canaan, but in the New Testament, according to Jesus in John 17, 21, is the key for winning the world. Church, let me just remind you that this is all about faithfulness to Jesus. The one who is building his church, he's promised to do so. It's interesting to note, by the way, that Joshua's name was originally Hosea. And the name Hosea means salvation. But Moses changed Joshua's name from Hosea to Joshua, which means God is salvation. And many of you probably already know this, but the Greek name for Joshua, guess what that is? Jesus. Joshua, not only in in this first chapter, but this entire book, is pointing us to Jesus. Make no mistake about it. It's pointing us to the greater conqueror, the one who conquered sin and death. The greater Joshua has come, and the victory is already won in Jesus Christ. All of God's word points us to Jesus. All of God's leaders faithfully point to Jesus, and all God's people faithfully follow Jesus. This is how God leads leaders to lead his people forward. It was Jesus, after all, who declared, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, And I am teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Father, we pray that that would be 
of the command and the commission that we heed. God, you are building your church. You promised to do so. And we know the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But God, we also know that you require faithfulness from your people. That you use means to accomplish your purposes. You use people to accomplish your purposes. And God, as your people, we want to be those of vessels who are fit for honorable use. We want to be those who are holy and pure. God, we know, each one of us, that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we thank you, God, even in this moment for the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for your mercy and we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you take broken clay pots and that you use them, Lord, to display your honor and your glory. And God, we pray again that in this church, your leaders who have been called by your word would lead your people with your word. And God, my prayer is that your people would respond and faithfully follow your word. And may Jesus Christ be our focus. May he be the one who receives all of our affection and may all of this be done for his glory, for his honor, for his praise. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.